everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Digital Marketeer. I'm your host, Stephanie Beach, and today we have Chike Shikuma, VP of Partnerships at Invisibly. Hi, Chike. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It's, uh, it's uh, The weekend is almost here. Looking forward to the holiday weekend for sure. Yes, I can't wait either. Um, and I hope that the weather holds up. We've had a lot of rain and it's been very gloomy in New York. So I'm looking to, forward yeah. to some sunshine, sunshine for sure. Definitely, definitely. So to start, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your career journey? Yeah, so I went to NYU undergrad. So I, I live in New York. I've pretty much been in New York most of my adult life at this point. I actually started out actually in the entertainment business. I was an actor a model and like a radio producer. I was kind of doing a hodgepodge of different things. And then um, it was really the radio stuff. I was working in media, doing uh, radio media tours, interviews, podcasting, actually, before it was podcasting, but for brands, uh, doing a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, then I went to business school. And then after business school, I pretty much got into like ad tech, digital marketing. Uh, I worked at a number of startups. And then it was really around 2017, 20, no, 2018, um, around when GDPR, I was having lots of conversations uh, with publishers about GDPR and what it means and privacy and all these things. And at the time I was at uh, Pubmatic, which is where we work together. And it was, I, I started thinking there has to be a better way to, to approach this. And then the opportunity with my current company popped up and I, I jumped, I jumped over there. I've been there now five five years uh, this wow. uh, July. So well, time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. And five years at one company in our industry is a yes. lifetime. <laughs> 100. I'm, so, I'm like the old man at this point. Yeah, right. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Invisibly. Who are they? What do they do? What is their offering? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So Invisibly so actually started around the time that I, I joined. Um, and it was really it, it was really great in that really the the impetus for it starting was from our founder, Jimmy Kelby. He co-founded uh, Square with with Jack or Block, as it's called now, with Jack Dorsey. And he was actually giving an economic talk. He's a he's an economist and, and a, uh, by training. And he's also an independent director at the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. So he's invited invited to do a talk amongst publishing execs sort of on the economics around publishing and what and, and whatnot. And it was through that meeting that they were basically like, well, what can you do to fix publishing? You know, a very lofty question to ask, but it got him thinking. And really the whole point of Invisibly is to give people a seat at the table. You know, when we look at, when we think about ad tech, we think about digital marketing. It's really this conversation that happens between advertisers and content providers or publishers. And, you know, while people's attention is really the, the fuel that makes it all go around, they don't really have a seat at the table. Um, and that was really our goal. Our goal was to make it more equitable and more sustainable for everybody by giving people a seat at the table. Uh, and that was really, really how it started. And, you know, when I, when I started the company, all we had was a bunch of really fancy um, PowerPoints. We didn't even have a product yet. So it was a lot of ideation. Um, so we, you know, we've had several uh, versions in the past, but really where we've come to now is, again, because our goal is always to give people a seat at the table, what we did is we created a consumer app for people. And I think in looking at it, it's very similar to like a, like a Apple News or a Smart News. But the big difference with it is that we put people in control of their data and we allow people to use their data to pay for content, um, whether that's subscriptions or a la carte. 
Um, so they don't have to whip out a credit card to do that, but they're able to, through interactions, by providing feedback on the content, uh, by taking surveys and providing data or information about themselves, they're able to basically earn rewards. And those rewards can be used to pay for a subscription to the Wall Street Journal, Barron's Market Watch. We have a number of other publications that are coming on probably in the next two weeks for subscription purchase purchase as well. Uh, and that's really, that that's that's the, I think the offer, the offer in a sort of a, as a whole as it is right now. That's pretty interesting and a unique concept to try to get people to be more comfortable sharing mm -hmm. their information. And everybody likes rewards or something free, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And everybody, you know, if it's something valuable and tangible to them, it makes it even better. Absolutely. You know, and I, I would say, you know, in general, people are are already very comfortable with sharing their data. But I think the difference is, is that they don't realize necessarily that their data has a value to them personally. Right. Um, you know, there's always reports on, you know, how much, uh, you know, users are, are worth to like Facebook and Google. And a lot of those platforms, you know, very uh, explicitly say you're not allowed to sell your data mm -hmm. um, because they're making money off of it. Um, so that, that was actually the easy part. I think, I think definitely when you think about sort of where we are societally now, you have like a few years ago, you had the social dilemma that came out. You had the whole through um, within uh, the what was it the 2016 election? You had um, Cambridge Analytica. People were like, "Oh, okay, this is what, what what has been going on." I think it opened people's eyes to the possibilities and that there is actual value to their data. And then I think, in addition, we know you know Google they gave us a respite again, but eventually third party cookies are going away. I feel like we say that every year for the last like, I know. 10 years. Seriously, um, I feel like but, we have the same conversation as well. Yeah. So like that's going away. And then we're also, we're maybe not GDPR. I would say that GDPR is probably imperfect. The only thing that's clear about it is what happens if you violate it. Right. But I think the goal of it is, is sound. It's privacy. It really is about putting privacy first. And the United States, just like the European Union, are looking at ways to do that. We already have um, some that are happening. We've got CCPA in California. No, a number of other states are looking to institute their own until you know the federal government gets its act together for a more na national approach. But it's happening. So these are things that I think users are aware of, tech providers are aware of, and are making changes for, and publishers need to be aware of so that they can you know continue to navigate this as it happens. And it also makes it less scary, right, for the user yeah. end user. With the examples that you mentioned on mainstream media, it's like, oh my God, what is happening? Who has my data? Where is this being sold? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What do they know about me? And it's very scary. For us in the industry, we obviously understand it a little bit better and, and know exactly what is being shared, how, when, and what, and why. Mm -hmm. But doing something like this and being able to have more of a reward system or more control over it is a solution to allow people not only to, in a way, monetize their their data mm -hmm. and control their privacy, but to just make them feel more comfortable and realize, okay, it's not so scary. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I and I think you know that goes without saying. I think that you know that there's the, the the other two sides of this. So like the app that we have sort of sits at the center of this marketplace. On one side, we have advertisers and we also have publishers. Obviously, people are earning points uh, or rewards in the app that they can then use on this content. So we have the content side as well. And I think the very same things that are impacting the user side of things, you know, legislation, changes to technology, people's general awareness, these are also things that are impacting publishers as well. And I think as we move forward, publishers need to really think about 
you know, who their audiences are, how they're engaging them, and also what kind of information they're able to get and uh, or to acquire about their users and what they can do with it. Um, so that's really something that we aim to do as well. Again, uh, with the explicit consent of users where they're also benefiting from that. Right. And I would think, too, with the deprivation of cookies looming, like we said, for many, many years, and supposedly they're really going away next year, I would think that this would be a really viable solution for publishers to be able to extract more first party data and get mm-hmm. more audience information for targeting purposes and and to be able to help drive more traffic and to be able to just intelligently make decisions outside of cookie tracking. Absolutely. 100%. I think for publishers uh, with the first party data, I like to think that, you know, the the data that we are collecting or that we're representing on behalf of our users is is a step higher. It's a higher threshold than just first party data mm-hmm. because it's consented, consented first party data. But yeah, that's exactly right. I think that publishers um, with third party cookies going away, how else are they going to be able to go after people intelligently? There is still tracking and targeting that goes on. Um, but they have to do it with their own data. And, and I think what you find is a lot of publishers, particularly in that middle tier, not so, not so much the larger publishers, but the middle tier and smaller publishers, the reality is, is they are so dependent on advertising that they don't have any data necessarily that isn't right. third-party data around their users. So what do they do when that's no longer an option? Yeah. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize, you know, I need to do something. It doesn't help that Google keeps pushing the goalpost because yeah. people are then postponing, postponing, postponing. But I definitely see how this could be a viable solution, you know, moving forward and a remedy for some of the people that might not have a solution in place. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would also say too, like our solution, it's not meant to replace any of these things. I think that really publishers need to think about revenue diversification so like our solution with for you know that we provide for publishers at least is meant to be very additive to what they're currently doing. So if you have a subscription strategy or a newsletter strategy or even an advertising strategy, continue to do that. What you're doing with us is is additive to that and also as we go forward will be supplemental in that it can be used to help you with these other strategies. Okay. That that makes sense for sure. And I like that because it's more like an added on or like complementing exactly. what you're currently doing to just improve what you're doing. And then hopefully being able to drive more consent mm-hmm. by doing that. So who Absolutely. are your clients and, and users? Like what would your ideal client be? So, I mean, that's it. That's a not not a I mean, it is a an, an easy question, but there's there are several. Right. So with users, it really is anybody, anyone and everybody. I think, you know, as we go and we are our content based on the app proliferates, it's really anybody that has an interest in consuming content in the way that we are providing it. And then I think on the, the publisher side, it really is any pub, like we work with everybody. We have, you know, I think we we kicked off subscriptions with Dow Jones with all three of their brands, so Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Market Watch, but we also work with local news, um, which I think is, I think our, our solution is very important for as well. I think that they f- are finding themselves probably in a, in a worse off situation than many of the larger brands. Um, so it really is anybody that offers quality content, whether it's gated or so subscriptions or entirely ad supported, I think that there is a way that we can work with all of them so that we can help them to engage with users and be able to provide them 
uh, insights as to you know what are people what respond what con- what of your content res- uh, do people um, connect with what are they doing with it who are these people that sort of thing um, but you know I think you know typically you want your eighteen to thirty five but I would say it's really eighteen and up like anybody really anybody yeah. that's consuming like an Apple News or a Smart News or a ground ground news any of these sort of like aggregation apps those are the same users that we would want to we would want to connect with okay that that's interesting and so when looking at your competitive set how do you mm-hmm. feel that your solution compares to that and why is it better yeah so i think i think at first glance you 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 know you would say oh this is very similar or the same as like an apple news or a smart news or any of those players but i think the real difference is in twofold one removing the friction around the paying for content you know, I think in general, when you think about sort of the revenue strategies for publishers, they uh, they use primarily advertising and subscriptions. The problem with that is that most people don't like advertising and they don't like subscriptions, but they're here to stay. They're very valuable revenue um, sources for publishers. Really, the advantage here is that we're able to give people the best of, ad- I'm sorry, the best of subscriptions without the parts that they hate, which is the create the profile set up the thing, put on their credit card, then put a calendar invite letting me know when this when the free trial ends or so that I don't get charged. Because a lot of times you only know that you you, you only remember you have the subscription when you hit, it hits your credit card. And you're like, oh, yes. I forgot to cancel it. And then oh my it's God, like, that happens you, all the time. Of course, of course. And have you ever heard of anybody actually getting a, a refund if they actually took the trouble to go and contact them to try, you know what I mean? It doesn't happen. Right. So we're giving them the, the best of the subscriptions without the friction that's associated with it. Um, and then I think the other piece is giving them control of their data. When you go to a, a you know, when most people that go to a, a, a publisher's website, you have no idea what what data they're collecting on them on you, and you don't have any say so or benefit to you as an individual. So those are really, I think, the, the the two main things that we're offering. We're offering the personalization and the control of your data and the ability to uh, consume and pay for contact and uh, con- content in a frictionless manner. What what gave you guys the idea or like what what is the point system all about and how does that work? Tell us more about your point system. Is it certain points for certain data? Is it, you know, if you're more active on the app, you get more points? You know, how does that work? Yeah. So um, at its base level, essentially one point is equal to one penny. Um, and it does convert into cash, uh, not for users. It's meant to be sort of the the currency of the ecosystem that's used to pay for the content. Um, but yeah, there there's variable pricing. So um, as we go, like a Wall Street Journal subscription, you can get for 500 points. When we have, we've got uh, many titles coming on from Hearst. A lot of those you'll be able to get for 100 points per issue. Um, the surveys, it varies in in the value. So some surveys are 50 points maybe 10 points, 100 points. We also have, we're going to be giving users the ability to actually connect through like a Plaid or a Yodely, the ability to connect like a bank account or credit card account. Um, Not for the purposes of, of, um, you know, using your credit card or charging you, but just so that what you're doing is you're basically providing us read-only access to your transaction data. So there, um, so that we can see what you're, you know, what you've been purchasing, and then we can make recommendations in terms of content that you may that you that may be of interest to you. 
um, using that information. And then you're also earning points for that. So, so for something like that, it would be like, you know, four or 500 points you get. So there, there are ways that you can actively earn points. So that would be interacting with the content, taking the surveys, providing that sort of that instant feedback in the app. And then there are passive ways like providing access to basically the data stream of your, your credit card transactions. So all of that is, is stuff that, that goes in. So in a way you are rewarded by being in the app more, but you don't have to, there are ways that you can still earn uh, points that you can then use to, you know, buy your subscriptions. And I think right now it's about subscriptions, but in the future, you know, we'll open it up to other things. I mean, in my mind, you know, I'd love to be able to people to pay for their Netflix or their Apple TV, or, you know, really that the sky's the limit. Yeah. Um, I think it seems at that really point, interesting. What, what, yeah. And I think at that point, what we've become is more of a, we're almost like a broker for you as the individual. Right. And we're, we're, we're basically bringing liquidity to your data that you can use to enrich your life in whatever way you see, you see fit. And so with the redemption of these points, is it for like digital access only, or can you like physically order the magazines that still exist? But, you know, I'm thinking like, I still get like cooking magazines and I think I Mm -hmm. would always want them to be in paper, Mm -hmm. you know, but then there's other things that I prefer to consume online like yeah. news and things of that sort. So, you know, do you have the option or like, how does that work? Yeah. So right now, I mean, obviously a lot of the publications we work with do have print uh, editions, but for the most part, it's just, it's just digital, just okay. digital copies. And I think, you know, if you think about sort of the e- economics of how it works, it, it makes a lot more sense with digital because there's basically zero marginal cost by providing right. an additional copy. Whereas it's like, if we're going to print it, it's like, you know, there's orders, there's lead time, all of that stuff. So um, right now it's just digital. And to be honest, I think as we move forward, it'll probably stay that way. Yeah. Um, but to your point, there is always going to be like, I know like uh, the cooking magazine from New York Times, like that's something, or actually that might be digital only, but I mean, I could see like there, there are going to be certain things, certain things that people will want the physical copy for. You're, you're always going to need those uh, coffee table books. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> And, you know, the subscription model is working and it seems amazing that it is, but what was the thought process behind that in creating this to be a subscription model, to be able to pay for content and do things like that, where a lot of times, especially with GDPR, people were Mm -hmm. very nervous that they were going to lose traffic and lose readership and, and viewers because you would now need to pay for the content or subscribe or do something to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what was the thought on utilizing that model? And and obviously it's working for you guys. Do you see that growing or do you see maybe other ideas formulating from that? I I see it growing. And I think really like the, the initial seed of an idea to offer subscriptions really started from the users looking at user behavior. Like we know that people like in the United States, as an example, only about I think 19 to 20% of people in the United States subscribe to any kind of like digital public, any kind of publication. Most of them will only subscribe to one or two. So that's typically like their local paper and maybe one national paper. That's about it. And then what you also find is that a lot of publishers, you know, for most of them, where they are making a lot of money is with subscriptions. But we also know that people they, we know that people don't like the annoying stuff of subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So really, that was the seed of the idea. And then what we realized is that, like, you know, people already have these established behaviors. So really, it was about removing the friction and to see, is this something that will work? So I, I wouldn't say that we knew right off the bat, like, yes, this is going to work. We had a strong hunch based on 
you know, these different data points behaviorally, how people behave and what we're seeing in the market, what we're seeing generally in society. And from there, it was really a very much data-driven approach, iterative approach. I mean, so far it's it's working, it's it's scaling in the way that we would want. And then, you know, I think really the next piece of it is the advertiser side, because as people are earning points for doing all of this stuff in the app, somebody has to pay for that. Uh, and what we'll do is uh, with the advertisers, the advertisers will be able to interact with people in a consented manner, and they're the ones that are funding the wallets. And even with all of the data that we're collecting on the platform, the goal is to be able to do segmentation off of that, that we can offer to the publishers for, you know, to feed their subscription or newsletter strategy, or to advertisers that are looking to have a more meaningful, high value interaction with, with, with uh, users. And I think that's kind of what makes it most attractive, right? Is that you're able to get that rich information yeah. and utilize it across the board. You know, mm-hmm. while you might not be targeting those specific users outside of, you know, the app and the content that they're currently mm-hmm. consuming within that, you are able to gain more insight, more information as to who is interested, how they're interacting and what they're doing and try to mimic that across your media buys. 100%. And I think even for the publishers, like just as you said, like what I would love to do is we achieve greater scale is be able to go to a publisher and say, hey, we know that this is your typical reader, but there's this whole co- cohort of readers that we have that we have on our platform who have demonstrated an interest in your content. Perhaps this is a group that you could try to reach out to as well, whether that be editorially or newsletters or stuff like that. And then also like the content, it's like, hey, I know that you're this kind of publisher, but like this type of content that you produce is 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 indexing, you know, much higher than what you would normally think. This is probably something that you guys should think about as well. Which could be very valuable, you know. I 100%. Think- you know, a lot of my clients throughout my career, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, especially at Pomatic or like when I was at Media Math, mm-hmm. like they have an idea of who their target is and who their their consumer is. And many times the data tells them that there's a lot of other, you know, yeah. or a, a different type of audience that they haven't thought about yet, or that they were in denial that was their audience yeah. or, you know, something that could help them extend who their their reach is and extend who they're yeah. advertising to that they're kind of discarding because they they're like that's not who who we're targeting or who yeah, we're going after our, yeah that's yeah. not our audience that's not what you know those are not the personas that market right. has told us are our personas like well <laughs> sometimes the data tells you more exactly um, and so you know with that said like how important do you think that the content being pushed out is and do you provide any insights into that um, yet, or you know, is that on the roadmap? Yeah, so we do we do provide some insights on the content. The goal is as we move forward, a publisher would not only you know not only are they getting sort of that incremental revenue, but they will get user insights. They will also get content insights, and then they will also get access to sort of the activating of segments, essentially. So it's a whole buffet of of, of opportunities and benefits to the publisher content is very important. I think, you know, we're, we're at this stage now in society. Now everybody's, it was like what I think chat GPT came out in the end of last year and everybody lost their mind. And it's like, I, you know, I've been to several conferences where there's all this talk about, Oh, we're going to use generative AI to produce content and get rid of, you know, reporters and all of this stuff. And, you know, I think AI is a double-edged sword. 
Um, so I think that content becomes more important because yes, there are publishers that are going to use generative AI. There are whole websites with full of content generated by an AI for the sole purposes of advertising. But I think that really for publishers that want to excel, they really do have to think about the content in, in the terms of who is their audience and what is the best way to reach them. And I also think that there's a benefit to having a established brand and to being able to go deep on a topic. I think that there's not going to be much of a future for content that is very shallow. It doesn't have much of that um, and is very sort of uh, commoditized. So like think about your entertainment news, a celebrity gossip, all of that stuff, even like horoscopes. Like I don't think that there's much of a future for that. So I think content becomes super important for a publisher. I think that if they want to um, succeed or if they want to grow, because I think at the core, you know, I said earlier that revenue diversification is very important, but I think for a publisher as a brand, it, it starts with the content. If they don't yeah. have the right content or they don't have good content, it, there's no point in trying to do anything else. Does your app support like individual content creators or are you solely working with brands? So funny you should ask. We do support individuals. It's a slightly different approach. Right now, we just have one individual creator on the platform. And I think that it, it's something that we will go back to. I think there's just a, a different set of tools and things that we need to develop to like make that scalable. Mm -hmm. um, but we have like, um, it's called the Big Technology Podcast. It's available on, on, on Substack. It actually performs very well on the platform with the users. But yeah, certainly. I think, again, you know, do your, do your Substack stack, but here's another option where you can make your content available. And I think, you know, to the degree that you can add some sort of editorial or opinion, like people want that they want deep analysis, you know, different topics that they're interested in. So right now, sort of. Um, so I think like, you know, if it's an individual creator that is, uh, is bigger then yeah, we can, we can do that now. Um, but I think the goal as we move forward is uh, certainly to offer um, sort of like a I guess, almost like a self-service platform of sorts for individual creators. But I think, you know, editorial control is something that we don't necessarily want to give up either, just like publishers don't want to. Right. So like there's a certain level of quality that we want to be on the platform. So at, at the end of the day, every piece of content that exists in the app is is paywalled, meaning you're paying every single piece of content is paid for. Um, whether it's traditionally ad supported or not, every piece of content is paid for. So I think that if you're asking people to spend their points slash money, then it should, it can't just be, you know, some user generated content. That's just like a random stream of, comp, you know, of, uh, right. of consciousness from Reddit or something like that. Yeah, that is interesting. And I'm interested to see how that develops as you guys build it out, but because there are so many people now that are mm -hmm. content creators, I mean, there's entire businesses and platforms built around yeah. it where not all the quality, like you said, is there, but there are some that really are, and there's some that really resonate with people. So yeah. I think it's a good projected roadmap development that you guys have. So maybe we'll, we'll do a recap of when that rolls out. Um, sure. And so in terms of recording this and reporting and being able to understand those insights and optimize, like what is your reporting and the metrics like, and, and what are some of the metrics that deem success for your clients? Yeah. So I think ultimately, you know, what they care about is the money. So what we're looking at is the actual reads. Uh, we do look at impressions, but I think it's less important than the reads because mm -hmm. I think with anything, the same thing in traditional uh, digital advertising, if you are, you know, no one's going to click on it if they don't see it. 
So obviously right now we do a lot of sort of manual cur curation, but we have a, a recommendation engine coming out the end of July that will take care of a lot of that. So like impressions are important, but it really does come down to clicks. So like how many times is the article being read? And then is it being shared? Are people liking or disliking? So essentially how are people interacting with the content? And I would say right now, uh, you know, I would say the bar is very low. I think the app as it exists today came out in just November uh, or October of last year. So it's still very early stage, um, but those are some of the metrics that they're looking, they're looking at. And I think, you know, this is, this will be a process, but I think uh, certainly even in the last six months, we've accelerated that quite a bit, but you know, we're not trying to, it's, I don't think it would be, I don't think it makes sense to compare us to like your traditional advertising or traffic metrics, because that's it's, what we're doing is very different and, it, and it's different by design. You should mm -hmm. continue doing that. But here's another opportunity that sort of goes into your whole strategy that we hope and we believe will help publishers to not just sort of, you know, exist, but to actually be able to grow their business. Yeah, I think that the information could be so valuable from what yeah. you give, especially like you said, it's consented data. And like these people mm -hmm. are going there for a reason. They're going there because they want to. They're choosing to open that app. They are conscious mm -hmm. of the actions they're taking. Like it's a very rich, engaged audience, which is very hard to find in a lot of other places, especially Absolutely. in any content website. You know, every every website basically holds some type of content, right? Whether you're reading mm -hmm. an article or you're looking to buy something or you're doing research or whatever it is. Obviously, if you're going there for a specific reason, yes, you're going to engage, but we are so overstimulated with different content and different types of content from social to, mm -hmm. you know, going to a website to an email, you know, things you do for work, things that you do mm -hmm. for pleasure or for your kids or whatever it might be that there's so much information there and, and you're choosing to kind of log on to this app and... Mm -hmm you know, do this thing that everybody is mm -hmm. trying to get them to do. So I think yeah. that that is very valuable in of, of itself. Is there any, and maybe you might not be able to share this if there is, but like mm -hmm. roadmap or projections to have partnerships with other maybe companies where they'll utilize something similar that's outside of the app? like be able to work with you or layer your technology onto what mm -hmm. their consumption is without being part of the app? Oh, yeah. So uh, it's not formally on the roadmap. So I think that that's very that's like that's I would say that's not even medium term. That's probably more long, like maybe a, a year from now. Mm -hmm. But certainly, you know, I, like I was saying earlier, um, you know, if we're if we're truly successful with this, and we reach that kind of scale, really, what invisibly becomes again, is sort of like a broker and digital wallet for the user where the, right. the user is complete control, but we're we're brokering for those who decide yes, I want to monetize my data. Okay, great. We will represent you in doing that. So I think ultimately the goal is if you're able to use these points, again, you can go to go go to Netflix, use, your, use this to pay for Netflix. Like we're not going to say you're going to watch Netflix inside of our app. That's, right. that's not going to happen. But the ability, I think really what it comes down to is the ability to use your points. Again, bringing liquidity to your data in these different areas. So at that point, like what we care about is the data share that we can connect to your, your profile to make your data sort, your data more valuable and the value. So like every time somebody clicks on an article, buys a subscription, invisibly takes like a transaction fee. 
So at that point, it really is just about the points, how many, like how often are they turning over? Um, and that's essentially how we make, how we're, we're able to make money, I think, in sort of the, a broad sense. So I think, yeah, I, I think in the future it, it will exist. The opportunities will exist outside of the app in that you can use your points outside of the app in that way. And what do you think is the future of content? You know, it is something that's so important now, Mm -hmm. understanding what you're putting out there, what the right cadence is, who your audience is, who you're Mm -hmm. touching when, you know, Mm -hmm. are all really important and things that it seems that your app can kind of help with as Mm -hmm. you ingest that data. So where do you think Mm -hmm. the future of content in general might be going? I think that the the content creators that are able to offer a unique perspective or opinion that are able to go deep on a particular topic and are the, and the ones that can rely on a solid brand or can create a solid brand are the ones that are going to succeed. And I, and the reason I say this is that will give you a solid base for what comes next and what comes next. Nobody knows, but what I can tell you is that, sort of our generation and the older generations, you know, they read, they consume content, news, what have you in a particular way. The younger generations, they don't, you know, they're not going, they don't care about necessarily subscriptions to Forbes magazine. You know what I mean? Like they're getting their content, they're getting their, their investing advice from TikTok (laughs) or like Reddit sub boards for better or worse. Right. And I think that the publishers that can understand who their audience is, and they can also have an understanding of who their audiences could be. And they understand where to find these audiences. That That's where the job starts, basically. Right. Because I think that, like how you interact with these audiences once you've decided who they are will depend on the platform. You know, like if you are a brand, you know, like a Forbes magazine, like Forbes, I'm sure they probably are on TikTok, but best of luck. I don't know that that feels like there's some dissonance there. Not to say that they shouldn't do it, but you're going to have to do it in a particular way that maybe is not familiar with you, to you as a brand. And I think in terms of cadence, that you again, you have to look at the platform. Like a TikTok, if you're going to do one post a week, you're probably not going to see much success there. Maybe right. you know try that on Facebook. So I think it, 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 it depends. But I think in order to even have a shot at any of this, you have to understand what the, what the perspective or value your particular content offers in the market. You need to understand who your audiences are and who your potential audiences are. And then the work begins. Yeah, it seems very interesting. And it also, you know, it would be amazing as you're talking, I'm thinking about like different ways to be able to drive more consented data, whether you know it's an appended to the tag or something mm-hmm. pre-bid, you know what I mean? Where, mm-hmm. okay, this person has opted in. Now I could kind of follow them almost wherever they are and ingest their first party data and make it that much more okay. rich and valuable. It's very, very interesting. And, and I mean, we could go down a lot of possibilities and a lot of rabbit holes mm-hmm. and, and kind of having that conversation of brainstorming, like what 2.0 of this looks like. But I think yeah. that you guys are really on to something where it takes the guesswork out of the audience. It makes mm-hmm. a safe environment for the user and it makes them kind of understand what's being done when and why as well so that they're opting in to do this but then the information that you're getting out of it is very rich and valuable to both the publisher and the brand and being able to replicate that as well on a larger scale would be phenomenal 
Absolutely. I mean, I see like even, you know, beyond sort of invisibly, I think honestly, the future of this goes to something very similar to what, what you're thinking, being able to append tags and do all of this stuff. Um, and I think it probably is something that is, th there are efforts like the guy, uh, Berners Lee, the guy who created the internet, he's working on a, on a, on a, a solution that does something similar to this basically on the entire web. Hmm. Um, you know, I think, uh, was it uh, Mark Andreessen from Andreessen uh, Horowitz? He said, it was in an earlier, maybe five years ago, he was like the, the big the big sin that was created with when the internet was founded is that there was like payments wasn't built into it. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't account for payments. So we've had to do all of these different things to try to monetize. And the funny thing is, is in the code, there are, I'll call them hooks. I'm not an engineer, but I'll call them hooks. There are abilities to be able to attach like payment mm -hmm. in there. The problem is, is that the internet is basically controlled by like five people and it's not <laughs> in their best interest to do that. Um, but I do think web three offers a potential solution here. And I think that, you know, I think right now when people think of web three, obviously you can't talk about web three without talking about blockchain. And I think most people, when they think of blockchain, they're like, Oh, Bitcoin, Ethereum yes. scam. You know what I mean? NFTs, like stupid pictures, scam. The reality is, is that none of it is a scam. I think that where everybody's attention is focuses on the stuff that is not the real value. NFTs for pictures, nonsense. But I think NFTs now, so what is an NFT? NFT is basically a digital representation saying this is a one of one that you can own and you can transfer ownership, right? I think within that, you can add things like smart contracts, Mm -hmm. So smart contracts, meaning like every time X happens, Y happens, Y executes, you can do like small automations. So now to your point, being able to append tags and do all of these things, your profile exists on a distributed ledger that has smart contracts built into it so that every time you do an action, it can have an automation that says append so-and-so's tag and also give me, they, you know, they're going to pay me five cents something like that. Yeah. So I think that it, it offers a solution that would now enable you to scale it in a way that makes sense. Because I think at the end of the day, it's like people need to have a seat at the table. I think right now there's too much leakage. There's there's lots of ways that digital media right now is like, oh, we're representing the user and like you you opt in or you opt out or you know it's auto opt in and all of this stuff. But like it's too much. Yeah. And ultimately there are too many ways that like people can be taken advantage of. And I think blockchain web three offers a potential solution. We're not there yet, but like, I certainly, I can see that as a, as a future thing. Yeah, definitely. Especially how you just described it. You know, it makes perfect sense for it to happen. And that's the perfect, for lack of a better word, platform to be able mm -hmm. to execute upon it. And, you know, similar to my last question, what mm -hmm. do you think the future of privacy holds? You know, this big, scary thing looming where cookies are going away, mm -hmm. you know, people are kind of scrambling as to how are we going to support ads? How are we mm -hmm. going to ensure that our targeting isn't ruined um, and what mm -hmm. information we're going to get there? I'm sure there's going to be other things that come out as AI comes out and Web3 is mm -hmm. further developed and things like that. But people are still very much afraid of digital online, you know, uh -huh. privacy. And there are still instances where there's data breaches and people, yeah. you know, while these 
things, I guess, for lack of a better word as well, were created to do good in our industry, Mm -hmm. given into the wrong hands has been proven to not do so good, or have been taken advantage of by large corporations and and companies Mm -hmm. and things of that sort. So, you know, in your opinion, and and your exposure to privacy as as part of your everyday job, where do you Mm -hmm. see the future of that going? And, And what, what might be the next big thing? Yeah, I think I think generally speaking, I think privacy, the future of privacy is bright. I think that for the user, it will be a good thing simply because uh, once it's legislated, tech tech companies will will have to get on board. And I think I think generally speaking, that's a good thing for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for publishers, generally, I think it's positive as well, but it's less clear because I think that for publishers, when it comes to privacy, it does create challenges, certainly in the short term, they're, they're not going to be able to do the things that they're that they want to do. But I think that because of that, what you're going to see is you're going to see improvements in sort of contextual advertising. I think that there's still a lot you can do contextually, that doesn't have to be specifically related to that user. I think, you know, obviously, you can't go wrong with endemic ads on endemic content. You know, it's a, I'm an automaker advertising and auto content. I think that that will always make sense. And I think ultimately, and the reason I say it's less clear is because publishers will be sort of forced into this new paradigm. They're going to have to find solutions. And I think that the solutions, some are in existence now, perhaps Um, some have not been invented yet, but I think ultimately it does come down to consented data. And so the only question is, is how do you do that at scale? And I think that that's, these are the things that publishers will need to contend with. And I think that for many, for some, it may feel unnatural because at the end of the day, they're publishers, they're not tech companies, but you know, what, what comes next is basically forcing all of them to improve their technical chops, whether it's in generative AI or in Web3, as I was mentioning before. There, there's a path forward, but it's going to be a bumpy one, I think. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I'm interested to see if some of your theories come come to life in the upcoming years. Thank you so much, TK. This was great. I really yeah. enjoyed our time. I always like to finish with two fun questions. So Mm -hmm. the first one is, what was your first job? My first job, uh, my first job was actually a martial arts instructor. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a cool one. uh, Yeah, I was like 14 or 15. It was my martial arts. So I I taught like kids uh, Taekwondo classes and and, like at the time, uh, you know, Billy Blanks, I know I'm dating myself here, but Billy Blanks, Taibo was a thing. So like everyone was like, oh, kickboxing aerobics. So I taught kickboxing aerobics as well. That's great. You'll have to show me some of your moves next time I see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, if you could you choose any career in the world, money doesn't matter, location doesn't matter, you know, what would it be and why? Wow, wow that's intense. Any <laughs> career. I was thinking, very, you know, when you said that, I, initially I was thinking very practically. I was like, oh, I could see myself. Uh, there, there was a time, like when I first went to college, I was like, I was pre-med. Oh, wow. I, decided, I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. And then I was like, I thought about law school for a time. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that either. If I could do any job in the world and money didn't matter, I mean, I guess thought leadership could be very interesting. Although I, I mean, I could do that. <laughs> I, guess. I, could, I, could, I could try to make a name for myself. There's like a million people all trying to make names for themselves sort of in thought leadership in, in, uh, in that way. I guess maybe it would be cool to just be a personality. I think my issue is I, I have interest in lots of topics. And I think yeah. in order to do content, even you have to have a perspective, like a, you have to have a niche. You need to have a lane. You know what I mean? 
and I have like I like lots of lands. That's always been my problem. I'm a I guess a a jack of all trades in, in that way. That's fun though. Or yeah, 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 or maybe it is. I don't maybe a, a law. Actually, as I've gotten older, law is something that interests me. Or you know, at one point, I also wanted to be I was an actor, right? So let's go do like action movies or something. <laughs> Wow. You really are a jack of all trades. <laughs> That's fun though. Thank you so much. This was great. And please let us know where our listeners could find you and if they're interested in working with you or learning more about Invisibly. Yeah, so um, I'm available on LinkedIn. That's the primary place to reach me. But um, also you can, uh, listeners can go to invisibly.com and they can learn about the app, uh, sort of what we do for advertisers and, and how we are working with publishers. Great. Well, thank you so much again. This was wonderful. I hope you have a very great weekend and rest of your week. Um, and thank you everyone for tuning in. Hope to see you at our next episode. Have a great afternoon. Mm -hmm.